This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Tech giant Apple has become the first company to see their valuation hit the $1 trillion plateau. None of the traditional big-name companies had ever gone that high before. It goes to the growth that Apple has seen over the last couple of decades and the relationship it has created with consumers, and it also highlights the growth and power of mega companies right now, like Apple, like Amazon, Google, and others, who are controlling more of the wealth than ever before. We take a deeper dive into Apple's $1 trillion plateau uh, number with John Scully, who's a former CEO of Apple and president of Pepsi. He's a Wharton grad and co-founder of marketing technology company Zeta Global, as well as founding partner and chairman of RX Advance. He joins us on the phone, as does Eric Gordon, professor at the University of Michigan Ross School of Business. John, Eric, great to have you both with us today. Thank you both. Great. Thank you. So, John, this is it feels like this has been expected for some time right now. But when you look at at Apple and obviously you have quite a history with that company, what does it say about the the path that Apple is taking right now? Well, when I think about it, I actually think about uh, the first time I uh, showed up at Apple to meet Steve Jobs back in uh, November of 1982. And at that time, um, Apple had uh, just a couple of buildings, the one that Steve was in had a black-and-white pirate flag flying from the roof. And uh, (laughs) Steve was thinking about something that nobody else in the high-tech world uh, thought was even important, and that was he wanted to build a personal computer because he thought the future of computing was going to be for non-technical people to be able to have something so easy to use that they could do all kinds of amazing creative things. And, And that's why he recruited me to Apple to help them learn how to do consumer marketing. But the reality is that um, those foundational principles that Steve created way back in the early 1980s are still the foundational principles that Apple uh, sits on today. So my thinking is that at least the first $500 billion of Apple's um, market cap you know, goes back to what Steve did. But I would give Tim Cook a lot of credit for the, for the next $500 billion that got them to a trillion because I think he came up with um, a strategy for loyalty with shareholders that is uh, incredibly powerful, just like Steve came up with a strategy for loyalty with consumers that obviously is foundational to Apple. So this is a prideful event for you, having having spent time there and, and seen the, the early days of that growth. Yeah, I was there as uh, CEO for 10 years. At the time I joined uh, – the Apple II was end of life. The company was running out of money, and I was principally brought on uh, by the board to um, keep the company's cash flow flowing for the next three years while the Macintosh was being developed and, and, and launched. And, and Steve wanted me there because uh, we had uh, created something called experience marketing back at, at Apple, excuse me, back at Pepsi, uh, when Pepsi was outsold uh, 10 to 1 by Coca-Cola in 50% of the U.S., uh, we knew we were up against the wall with, against the most valuable trademark in the world. They said, Coke owns reality. Perception leads reality. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we got to figure out how to change the ground rules and control perception. And that became experience marketing with the Pepsi Challenge and other things. And Steve said, you got to come to Apple and teach me how to do experience marketing. So Steve was interested in the marketing side. The board was interested in 
turning around the Apple II, which we did. And I was at Apple for 10 years. Eric, uh, when you... I mean, again, this was this was coming. We knew that it was going to be either Apple or maybe even uh, Amazon or Google to be uh, the company that hits this this one trillion dollar plateau first. Uh, and I think that's part of the other uh, piece of the story is the fact that there were realistically a couple of companies that could have been in play to be that first company to hit the one trillion dollar plateau. Yeah, you know, and interestingly, I mean, at the end, we thought it was going to be Apple. But if you look at some of the other stories, um, Amazon actually in some ways has a better market cap growth story. Uh, its market cap now is uh, somewhere around $890 billion, which is something like 90% of Apple's. But seven years ago, it had the market cap only one-third the size of, of Apple's market cap. So a- Amazon, in terms of market cap, has actually been the, uh, the rocket ship. Didn't catch up, at least not at the trillion-dollar mark, but, you know, uh, in terms of growth, clearly faster growing on the market cap side. You have Alphabet, which I think of as Google, is somewhere around $860 billion. And, oh, Microsoft, you know, the old... Apple enemy, I guess, uh, uh, somewhere around 820 or 830 billion. So we have a, a group of really large, sort of new generation companies. But do these companies, as much as they have grown, in your perspective, Eric, do they have? Is there a ceiling that that they may need to be considering? You know, in the future. You know, they have that fate in their hands. As long as they creatively reach out and do new things, I I don't know why there would be a ceiling. So, for example, Amazon, which seems to be willing to try almost anything, it's hard to put a cap on them. With Apple, you know, I think there's more of a question. You know, for all that Tim Cook has accomplished, what he has not accomplished is establishing a whole new category. You know, Steve Jobs, we had the friendly personal computer. We had iPods, a new category. We had iPhones, a new category. We had iPads, a new category. Um, I, I, you know, with Tim Cook, we're growing services, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not as adventuresome as somebody like Amazon or even Google is. John, your thoughts? Well, I think that Apple may be the first $1 trillion company. I would uh, say that I think Amazon's probably a more likely candidate to be the first $2 trillion company, meaning that uh, I would agree with Eric that uh, Amazon has been able to uh, invent uh, line of business after line of business after line of business. I mean, it's asked, I think uh, Jeff Bezos is the most um, competent CEO in the world right now. And it doesn't look like he has any intentions of slowing down. So I'm, uh, we've long been uh, uh, big shareholders in Amazon and, and love the company. Uh, in case of Apple, it's really very different than the other companies that uh, Eric was going through because Apple uh, doesn't have a next act that we're aware of uh, after the iPhone. Uh, it probably doesn't need one. Uh, from a shareholder value, you know, holding a shareholder value and maintaining, uh, you know, growth as a value-based company. But it's going to need it in maybe five or seven years. And the real question is, is is Tim Cook going to want to hang around for another five or seven years? And if not, uh, my guess is that the next CEO will probably come from inside Apple. Uh, What will the next CEO 
you know, want to do, because what I've experienced uh, is that Moore's Law, which has been going on for 48 years, has really defined opportunity in the high-tech world. So during the era of the iPhone, uh, it was only possible in 2007 when 3G replaced 2G uh, mm-hmm. with wireless carriers and when uh, miniaturized components for digital electronics became practical at scale and when Steve Jobs had the brilliance to uh, realize that you could do you know, photography in an entirely different way uh, with a handheld device that you could send photos to, to another device and that led to all the things we know about. The question is, what comes next? And Tim Cook has probably correctly said that that um, augmented reality is going to be really important. Uh, the, the challenge is, you know, are we at the point where uh, artificial intelligence and augmented reality and uh, some of the other sort of foundational things that will probably be part of what comes next after iPhones, is that going to happen in two years or three years, or is it really five or seven years? Away. My, my, my guess is that it's, it's probably more like you know, five to seven years. I find it interesting, Eric, that uh, you know there was the news uh, of Taiwan Semiconductor having a virus, uh, and they're obviously making uh, chips uh, for the iPhone. Even when you have something like that, the, the growth, you know, that's just a that it literally is. It feels like a blip on the radar for some of these companies, especially the ones like Apple. That I would imagine they almost build into their expectations these occasional problems from time to time. Look, I mean, they're going to be they're going to be problems. You run a big, complex business with very complex, advanced technology. They're going to be these problems. Here's something interesting about Apple. Um, it's not actually selling more phones. Uh, they announced, yeah. you know, at a unit level, uh, just under let's just say one percent, rounded up to one percent unit growth. Their success has been getting people to buy more expensive phones. So their so-called average selling price has gone up. That's driven revenue. Now, in the next month or two, we're going to see two, maybe three new phones. Uh, So maybe unit growth will recycle. But uh, uh, their six, you know, Tim Cook's success uh, it's been, there have been multiple things. I mean, he's gotten manufacturing and distribution worked out in, I, I think, a, a fairly efficient way. Uh, but getting people to go up to these $900,000 price point for phones, if you'd asked me five years ago uh, if that was a good strategy, I, in all of my academic genius, would have said that's nuts. Well, that's why Tim Cook makes the big bucks, and, and I'm a professor, because they've been successful in doing that. But their growth has been an average selling price, not in units. Well, and the other interesting thing is not only getting people to, to buy the higher-priced phones, but continue to buy them every two years or whatever that cycle is that, that people feel like that they, that they need to have that next phone, Eric. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, that's that's uh, pretty good marketing. Yeah, I agree with John about uh, augmented reality. Um, I'm on a campus where we do a lot of research in that area, and, uh, and I'm pretty close to that. And, uh, you know, there is reality. It is coming. It's going to be fabulous. It's, it's going to be very cool. But I don't think it's two years away. I, I don't think it's in Apple's next product cycle. But keep in mind, you know, Apple has good technology capabilities, and they have more cash probably than the U.S. government uh, to invest. 
they can keep shareholders happy uh, over the next four or five years. They can just they can keep them happy with stock buybacks. They have so much cash. So, you know, I think Apple will Apple will be a player in the next round. Um, but it's not, you know, it might be a new CEO because it's not Tim Cook's strong point. But going back, John, to what you were saying before about, you know, the early days of Apple and the path, I mean, it was basically a similar concept, uh, as you mentioned with Steve Jobs, uh, of having technology that the consumer would buy. And, and the nature of the consumer is every couple of years that person needs to update or, or upgrade the, uh, the technology that they have. Well, that's been true for a while, but but uh, as Eric points out, the uh, smartphones, including iPhone, have uh, really slowed down in terms of replacement. Uh, we haven't seen the replacement cycle you know, as rapid as it's been in the past. And if you look at the um, current generation of Apple's iPhones, they're still beautiful. They're a great experience. People love them. Uh, they're still buying them, but but they're not buying them uh, at the replacement rate that they used to. And so Apple's been leveraging its ecosystem, the connection it has, which is, from a consumer experience, so good between its different devices, and leveraging its service revenue. And, you know, Apple uh, only has 15% of the uh, physical smartphone market, but it's got um, about 95% of the profits that are taken out of the smartphone ecosystem. So uh, my, my sense is that um, Apple doesn't have, as they do, uh, hasn't told us what their next big breakthrough is going to be. I don't think augmented reality is going to happen in two years either, though I do think it will be terrific when it does happen. So my sense is that uh, Tim Cook has done a very good job uh, building loyalty with the shareholder. He does it because he has 10 times as much cash as Amazon does. He's buying back stock, about $100 billion this year is what they have indicated they're, they're going to do. They give a big dividend. Uh, they uh, don't try to be the innovator of what's coming next and take risks. They kind of trail innovation by a couple of years. So the iPhones don't necessarily have the latest uh, new technology, but they do a really good job when they deploy it, and they do it at scale. So Tim Cook has built something from uh, a, a, you know, looking at it purely as, as, as a value investment, not, a, not as a growth investment. It's, it's doing well. It will probably continue to do well for several years. It's probably going to take a uh, different kind of a CEO to actually figure out, so how do we become you know, a leader in whatever comes next? Uh, I think Apple was probably smart not to go buy Tesla or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's too much of a risk, I think, for the kind of strategy Apple's been following. But on the other hand, uh, Apple's got you know, just a continuing flow of cash. Uh, that is going to be there for you know, many years going forward. So as long as they can keep that ecosystem going and keep that customer loyalty there, they're going to continue to uh, to to be able to add to this valuation that's over a trillion dollars at this point. Well, well I, I wouldn't want to be the next CEO coming in after Tim Cook uh, because the next CEO uh, is probably going to have a very you know challenging uh, strategic uh, set of issues over the next you know, four, five, six, seven years, because eventually this model, you know, is going to be a challenge because there will be innovation. And if it doesn't come from Apple, it will come from someone else. Uh, So when augmented reality does come, who will be the leader? Will it be Apple? Will it be somebody else? Uh, As AI and machine learning, you know, become more and more integrated into everything, uh, will someone like Google, who is, you know, clearly 
you know, invested uh, incredible amounts of research and development and brought in great talent for uh, both machine learning and AI, you know, will, will they be able to productize it better than Apple? So the next CEO who follows uh, Tim Cook uh, is going to have to focus on those kinds of issues. Eric? Yeah, I think that's right. I, you know, you, you go through generations. Um, one of the interesting things about, uh, you know, Apple these days under Tim Cook is in the last quarter or two, uh, the company's placed a lot of the spotlight. They've moved the spotlight onto their services. Now, yeah. services is a small amount of their revenue and a small amount of their profit, even though the services tend to have high profit margins. Uh, but nevertheless, the company has sort of said to you know, equity analysts and investors, here, focus on how well our services are doing. And their services are doing well. Um, I, I saw a survey that uh, one of the brokerages did. Uh, they surveyed about 1,000 people who own iPhones. Turns out that 38% of them have bought additional iCloud storage. You get five, you get five gigs free. 38% have bought additional. Uh, about 18% stream Apple Music, which is about the same number of yeah. iPhone users that stream Spotify. Uh, this one really surprised me. About 23% pay for this Apple Care stuff. Very high, uh, not Apple Music, but the other things are high margin products. So. Um, the company itself is saying, hey, okay, look, um, uh, pay a lot of attention to this small services business that we're growing. Um, it didn't say, hey, hold your, hold your breath for another minute because we're going to roll out augmented reality. We have all this other great stuff. So, you know, the company now, I think, very much reflects the strong points of Tim Cook, and uh, I agree with John. I, I think, you know, that cycle that cycle will lead it against a growth wall, and, mm -hmm. and they will need something else to regenerate growth after they've bought back all the stock they want to buy back. We're joined uh, by John Scully, former CEO of Apple and president of Pepsi, currently uh, founding partner and chairman of RX Advance. Also uh, joining us, Eric Gordon, professor at the University of Michigan Ross School of Business. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866, or on Twitter at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. John, for a second, I mean, with, with this growth that, that Apple has seen over these couple of decades— and, and your relationship with Steve Jobs, how has that transformed how you think about growth with the with the entities that you're involved with now? Well, I am a big believer that that uh, the rate of uh, change is only accelerating. Uh, it's been driven by Moore's law uh, up until this time uh, in the almost 40 years I've been in, in the high tech world. But it's now being driven by all kinds of new innovations in, in, in drones, in precision medicine, in um, you know robotics. I mean, all of these these things are opening up uh, huge opportunities to completely reimagine what industries will be like. Uh, the most fundamental to all of them is what's uh, is the business architecture of platforms. Which, if we were a hundred years ago having this conversation, and you said, "So, what's the most important thing we need to watch from an innovation?" Standpoint, I'd say uh, the distribution of electricity uh, across the United States. And yeah. I'd say today it's um, platforms as a business architecture. Apple obviously has, a, has an important uh, platform, but so do a lot of other companies, and there'll be more platform 
innovation, I think, over the next uh, coming years. So I think that the opportunity for more Apples, more Amazons, more uh, Googles, more Microsofts is clearly going to happen over, over the next decade. So then what do you think that's going to mean then for for the consumer? I mean, obviously, you're going to have a lot of different services, but they're going to be coming from seemingly fewer companies, correct? Well, uh, I think for one thing we know is that uh, high technology is going to continue to commoditize. I mean, uh, we now have 2 billion people carrying around a supercomputer in their pocket, you know, called, a, you know, a smartphone. And uh, there's still another 2 billion people to be added to, with this kind of uh, capability over the, the next half dozen years. Mm-hmm. So I think that there'll be a lot of uh, companies that we don't even know their names yet that are going to be doing amazing things with commoditized technology. The thing that makes the Chinese different than the U.S. is with technology is their ability to uh, do speed at scale. Uh, speed at, uh, to scale is uh, you know, something that we haven't learned how to do. We know how to scale, but yeah. not at the speed of scale that the Chinese do. For, for example, Ofo, which is a bicycle rental company in China, a little over two years old, uh, rents 35 million bicycles a, a day. And they're forecasting next year that there'll be up to 300 million bicycle rentals per day. We don't know how to scale a business that fast in, in the U.S., and so there are going to be different ground rules for uh, creating these extraordinary successful companies yeah. in the future that are different than the models that we've used in Silicon Valley up until now. I wanted to spend the last couple of minutes talking about uh, some news that, that came down. Uh, Indra, Indra Nui, uh, who was the president uh, and CEO of uh, PepsiCo, announced that she was going to be stepping down. John, first, what's your reaction to that move? And also from the perspective of that we've seen uh, quite a few CEOs step aside in the last uh, about 12 months or so, and, and several of them have been female CEOs. Yeah, I think that's too bad because I think we need more uh, female CEOs, and, and, and there's been an unusually large number of them that have stepped aside. I think in the case of uh, Indra uh, Nugi, she has uh, been there 12 years. Uh, she's had a very good, uh, you know, over a decade of, of leadership. Uh, she had a tough hand uh, to uh, deal with because uh, the reality is that uh, CPG, you know, consumer packaged good industry in total, you know, has been a single-digit growth industry with you know many challenges. Particularly tough for companies like Coca-Cola and Pepsi yeah. uh, that have you know issues with their packaging in terms of the environment. They have issues with sugar and obesity. They have issues with you know all kinds of things in addition to the slowing growth of the CPG industry. So um, I think she did did a you know, a, a very a good job while she was CEO of PepsiCo. And um, I think it's challenging to anyone uh, stepping into that, that industry at this time. You know, what do you do? Because uh, she uh, was able to try, at least. Uh, it's very hard to pivot from those core products, sure. like Mountain Dew and Pepsi, yep. you know, over to the more, more healthy products, which tend to be growing slower, tend to have um, you know, bigger challenges to you know, build them to scale. Eric, got about 30 seconds if you can uh, give us your comments. Yeah, well, I think we've lost a lot of women because a lot of them have been in the food business. You know, Irene yep. at the Mondelez, um, uh, uh, Campbell Soup CEO. 
They were in very tough businesses. Um, I'm not sure that anybody would have done any better. I agree. I think Nuya did. Uh, she had a very good run. She tried to move them as quickly as you can move something that big into the new growth areas and have had, has had some success. But it's tough when you have a, do a zillion dollars worth of business, adding a few bucks on the side on the healthy thing doesn't move the needle that much. John, uh, Eric, great having you with us today. Thank you both for your time. Enjoy talking to you as always. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.